Hi, I'm Angelique Roche, and this is Marvel's Voices. Stories tell our history, teach us lessons, and entertain us. Whether written or spoken, nonfiction or fiction, they serve as a connection between us. But seldom do we get a chance to hear the story behind the storyteller. Throughout my life, I've heard and amplified the stories of so many unique and wonderful people. But the ones that stuck with me, the kind of stories that kept me asking questions, are the ones that come from unique voices. Like the story of growing up as a first-generation Caribbean American with the dream of being a basketball star. Or the story of navigating gender and race as a Muslim American woman in the comics industry. Or how one strong character of color can inspire a quiet kid from Chicago to become an outspoken entertainer. These stories can give us new insight on the people behind our favorite characters and content. That's why this show was created. Every other week, I'll sit down with one of my favorite storytellers, illustrators, writers, directors, actors, and fans, to have a conversation. Each episode will dive into what makes them tick, what inspires them, what they're passionate about, and why and shed some light on the voices of the people that make up the Marvel Universe. It's the height of the summer, easily 100 degrees outside, and somehow I'd managed to be stricken with the flu. With nothing else to do but bury myself under a mound of blankets and gulp copious amounts of honey and tea, I start catching up on all the shows I'd been missing. Needless to say, after 10 seasons of my favorite nerdy comedy, I was ready for something new. After flipping through my options, I ran across a new show from the Marvel Universe, Legion. By the third episode, I was hooked. Before my traditional course of tea meets flu medicine took into effect, I'd managed to watch every single episode, getting to know each character. But one character stood out. The cool-tempered, bespoke memory artist who looks like he just stepped from the pages of a Harlem Renaissance novel, Patonomy Wallace. The mutant who remembers everything, even his own birth, works to help retain, restore, and repair the memories of other mutants and adjust to their powers. Pretty cool, right? Even cooler is the man who plays him, Jeremy Harris. A first-generation American whose family is originally from Dominica. A Juilliard-trained actor, poet, and writer, Jeremy uses his passion to amplify the voices of others and highlight issues he really believes in. I met Jeremy on a cold morning in March. How awake are we? I'm there. I'm are there. You morning, I'm, uh, are you a morning person? No, but I'm trying to be. Word, like, I I've appreciate been trying you. For years to it's be hard, right? It's very hard for me, at least. It's no. like switching your brain. What about you? You're not a morning no. person? No. I was in I was actually in the military for two years yeah. and I lost a roommate in college because my alarm would uh, go off and I wouldn't move. Wow. And so she would get up, cut it off, and like after a semester, she was like, Yeah, I can't live with you because I feel like I'm in the studio recording an album right now. I mean, so you've really you've done that like, a couple times. How do you what what do you mean? I mean You don't know I've never recorded an album. You haven't recorded an album, but you've done spoken word on albums. Yeah, that's true. Wow, you did like research. Like I've I've this was a spoken serious. word artist for twelve years. Oh wow. I love I didn't know I, that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well it's I, not fair. You don't have my bio. So. I know. This is it's, not it's, fair. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's, it's you're at like, a disadvantage. I mean I was like, really? Have and we have idea. a we have a couple of uh synergies. Uh, really? Wendell Pierce is from Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. Oh, I yeah. I 
worked with his brother Ron. Uh, okay. When I was uh, in DC, I, yeah. I came from politics. So okay, you did. Yeah. That's so I've awesome. I've seen I've I've, I've parted with <laughs> Wendell a couple times. Yeah, Wendell. Like Wendell, I feel like earlier on, like was very instrumental and just kind of well. First of all, he's like part of the reason I went to Juilliard is because of him. Word. Yeah, he went there and just like he's very just open to. I guess I guess you call it mentoring in a way. Just bring him. He brought me to the set of this uh, HBO movie he did, um, and then he just was like always open to answer questions I had and like always returning my calls. You know, which is like yeah, he's good you know, people. That's that that's yeah. a Louisiana spirit. Yeah, though. I love Louisiana. Yeah. Well, I've only been to New Orleans, but I love New Orleans. I like, mean, New Orleans is pretty much the best part of Louisiana. That's <laughs> where my father's from. So yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I mean, just the energy. Do you play an instrument? So I was vocalist for a while. Okay. So I did vocals yeah. and I did um, performance poetry for 12 years. Wow. And I acted a little bit before I okay. uh, decided to go to law school. Wow. And yeah. then you went to law school and then got into politics. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the plan. Okay. Um, so I went to politics for a while, did comms and okay. uh, traveled around the country, worked yeah. for Obama. Wow. And then my boss came and got me from Ohio. I ended up here. Wow. Somehow at Marvel. So from Louisiana, where'd you go to law school? Southern University and then GW. Okay. So Louisiana to D.C. to Ohio? Basically. Well, Louisiana, D.C., North Carolina, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Sheesh. Ohio, New York. Wow. But I always wanted to live in New York. Okay. And how that long have you been here? Three and a half years. Do you like it? I love it. Okay. That's good. I mean, clearly you love it. Well, I'm from here. Like, I was born in the Bronx, but then I moved to New Rochelle, which is, like, outside of the city. Yep, I've been I've there. I've been in the city for a long time. So, I mean, it feels like home, you know? But we filmed this past season in L.A., and, like, L.A. kind of, like, grew on me a little bit. But really? New York, yeah, it did. Like, at first, I didn't like it, but... I had like a couple of friends out there that I ran into. And then once I started kind of having a circle of people to like to be with and know where to go, I was like, okay, I see the the value in yeah. being here. But it doesn't have the same, I guess, like vibe. I don't know if vibrancy is a word. It's like it's not as vibrant as New York. It doesn't yeah. have like that pulsating culture and energy. Sometimes I miss that. But, you know, the weather is nice. The space I mean, it's always nice. sunny. Yeah. Well, New York's got that drive. I mean, and yeah. I, I think if there's anything I kind of learn, like just just learning about you and your work, yeah. is like you you're really driven. Like yeah, no I, matter I, what it is, like yeah. whether it was sports, whether it was theater, yeah. you know. Yeah, I try to be because I I don't know necessarily why, but I f- I'm like really ambitious, and you know I I kind of have that that feeling of never being satisfied you know like I always felt like at a certain point you you get this level of satisfaction like before I got to Juilliard I was like man if I get into Juilliard I'll feel like you know you feel like you'll I don't know if you'll feel like you've arrived or you've accomplished something that you really wanted but it always seems kind of like okay that was cool but what's next you know so I think I'm I'm learning also to enjoy the steps more but there's always more that you want to at least for me there's always more that I kind of want to try to achieve and accomplish and you know growing up playing sports I feel like sports beats into your head like anything is possible like never give up and you know you have to will yourself to it so I think those things have kind of like stuck in my head even though as you get older you're kind of like okay this isn't always accurate, but the idea of it, like, makes sense and is, like, 
very important. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why I find myself to be really driven and just ambitious. And, you know, I like it because, I don't know, it's just a part of who I am. I want to try to achieve more and do more. So, But you also have a really accomplished family. Like, all your siblings yeah. went to Ivy's. Yeah, yeah. How many siblings do you have? Uh, I have an older brother and an older sister. Oh, so you're the baby. Yeah, I'm the baby. I'm the baby, baby club is a good place to be. You're the baby too? I am. Yay. We are like the multifaceted, do everything experiment with all the things. Yeah. Now I understand. Everything makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the baby. <laughs> do you find that that's an advantage or disadvantage being the baby? Was there a transition period where it's like, oh, okay, I have to like handle a lot or? It depends. Like okay. how far how far apart are you with your siblings? I have some time. It's like some space. 10 years and seven years. 10 and 12. Oh my gosh. Okay, so explain. So go further with that, with your theory, I guess. So I think the theory is like you you have to deal with the fact that they did all the things that you now can't get away with, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they're just things that you're like, your mom is going to look at you like, you do know yeah. that you're not the first person to think of this. Okay, let me tell you something. It was a little opposite for me. For me, it was like, I'm too tired to... Like, discipline you as strictly as I did your siblings, which is, like, an interesting thing. So I don't know why, but that was, like, my, my or at least that's what I've been told was my experience. Because to me, it was just, you know, my discipline was just whatever it was. But, you know, my older siblings were kind of like, we would have never, we never got to watch this much TV or we never got to. That is what I hear from every single baby I have ever ever met yeah but the other thing i hear and this is very interesting my parents always do this and i know you have the kind of the story where you called your mom was like hey yeah i'm out of business school deuce deuce yeah i'm going to juilliard this is what i want to do um i had the same thing with my parents i was like i love you guys i know i went to law school and that's great Mm -hmm. um but i'm not practicing law how did they feel about that my dad was uh was asking me when i was gonna get a real job for a while (laughs) Mm mm-hmm until you, until you start, until they start seeing you accomplish things, and they're like, "Okay, you serious about this? Okay, it could, it could be a real thing. You can yeah. actually pay your rent." Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. that's always a thing, right? Yeah, survival. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what my mom was about too. Because she's, you know, she's an immigrant, so I think like also it's just for her it was like, "What? This is a possibility. This is something that you're gonna like. You can actually make a career out of." But I think ultimately, like parents want to see their kids happy right doing what they want to do their passion they just don't they just like they don't want us to suffer through the the pain of like doing something that isn't as like focused as like law or business or medicine you know things that have a more of a direct path so yeah I get that so how is it growing up as like a first generation American in New Rochelle hmm growing up it was pretty, I mean, it was cool. I feel like probably in my earlier life, there were more struggles, but I was young. And I think like when you're young, you <laughs> you don't really, you know, they just go over your head and you're just happy to kind of be like playing with your friends and being around. But um, I grew up in a pretty strict environment because um, I like my parents were brethren, which is like a denomination of Christianity which is like pretty um pretty strict. So it was you know I, my mom I I remember this. More than anything I just remember my mom remember my mother saying to me like remember who you are when you leave this house. 
that's like the major thing that like kind of like sticks in my mind when I think about my childhood is that whenever I never really got in any trouble or did anything too crazy and I felt like I was pretty focused because you know I cared for my mom so much and I saw how much she sacrificed for me that like whenever she was said that I would just kind of be like all right I got you know I had someone who I had to be accountable to like whenever I got home so I was like an athlete I was just really into sports and just like into art and music but I feel like those things took a back seat because and I was always into poetry but I you know when when you're like a young black kid there I think now interestingly enough I think being different is more mainstream or the most mainstream than it's ever been at any other point in time at least I don't know you can correct me if I'm wrong or tell me if you think differently but I feel like at a certain point in time like what it meant to be like a black kid or black man you know was it was always and it was never you know I don't think black people ever a monolith and we're still not but I think that you were kind of geared towards certain directions at least when I was growing up it felt that way and like art didn't feel like a direction that I at least could go in and feel, um, you know, as supported as maybe like athletics and things like that that are more typical um, things that I guess you see from black men or black boys. So um, I kind of like shied away from art a lot when I was growing up and I played like a lot of sports, even though I love sports and I think I learned a lot from it. Um, That was kind of like the trajectory. And then once I realized that, you know, I probably couldn't make a career as an athlete. It was like, all right, well, what else do I really like? And um, I don't know how it happened, but I guess like art just like was kind of what spoke to me. Word. I mean, you have like some really good folks that you sit down and kind of drop as influences, like whether it's um, your sports influences, whether it's Denzel, whether it's Wendell, um, Mm -hmm. and you've worked with D. Reese, like, yeah, right. She's amazing, absolutely. You know, and I think you know we all see these these icons, these images, these folks that give us kind of playing off what you were saying is the possibility, mm-hmm. and then deconstructing the possibility and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But you've always really picked very vocal folks, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's even you know looking at the sports icons, but like P Diddy and and Dash, mm-hmm. like very mm-hmm. vocal, very opinionated, yeah. but also for lack of a better word, hustlers. Like yeah. they, they, the, again, back to this just drive and understanding. But when I listen to your poetry, yeah, like I hear that. You actually that listened refl- to it. I did. Wow, that's dope. I appreciate that. Thank you I, for listening to it. Yo, you were inspired by New Orleans. I had to go listen to it. <laughs> I was like compelled at that point. I was like, yo, inspired by a trip to New Orleans? What? Yeah, that's interesting that you, I don't even know where you found that. But yeah, that, that, that it was inspired by New Orleans. But yeah, it absolutely was. Um, at Juilliard, they, they kind of teach this idea, which I think is really dope, like the artist as citizen. And we went to New Orleans a couple of times to, you know, just work with Habitat for Humanity um, to help rebuild some houses. And then we also worked at a school. I can't remember the name of the school or what ward it was in. But um, we worked at a school and like, you know, just work with some of the kids there. And it was only for like a week. Um, but you know, just, I guess, taught them a little bit about you know, acting, a lot of, when you're, like, working with young kids, a lot of it is, like, theater games and just 
kind of getting them to get out of the shell that they have to be in or the, you know, some of the, the way they have to present themselves to survive, you know, that they've been taught to present themselves in order to survive. And, you know, I can kind of relate to that because I remember one of my teachers, like, um, when I got into Juilliard, you have these reviews at the end of, like, I don't remember what it is, every quarter or something like that. But one of them was like, we were kind of unsure about how you, like, I guess, thrive here, whether or not you would thrive here. Because I didn't go to, like, art school and, like, we would, like, roll around on the floor and pretend we were, like, chickens and do all these, like, things that I never had done before. Um, but I kind of just jumped in. So I can kind of, you know, relate to some of the kids who just you have to have a certain or you feel like you have to have a certain exterior and present yourself a certain way. Um, but yeah, New Orleans was just, I mean, it's one of my favorite cities. Uh, just the, the music and the culture and the food, it's so, it's so present um, and it's so in your face. And I really love that. And just on the point of like, P. Diddy and Dame Dash and like some of my other influences. I think I didn't realize it was this. And like actually just in this conversation, it's kind of coming to me. But the I think I value independence a lot um, and the freedom that garners you. Because I think when you, you know, when you're independent in some ways, you can or you feel like you can speak more freely or move more freely um, without having to answer to people. And there's something that I think we probably all have that desire. And, you know, I don't know if we all have that that privilege in some ways. It depends on who you talk to or what thinkers or speakers or thought leaders you, you listen to. But I guess you always have that ch- choice, but you always have to deal with the consequences of maybe, like, speaking out. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm attracted to, to people who have found a way to... Um, be successful while still speaking their mind and like um you know being their complete selves or who they understand their complete selves to be at any given moment in time so i think that's why some of those influences have you know are there for me but it makes perfect sense right like as yeah. people of color particularly i'm sure were you working with kids of color in new yeah, orleans absolutely and it even goes back to your mom saying remember who mm-hmm. you like mm-hmm. remember who you, you belong are. to yeah, when yeah. you walk out this because yeah. there's always that that tether that that we have and mm-hmm. finding that path that's a little bit broader mm-hmm. um that allows us to get to the deconstruction yeah. right yeah um so Absolutely. i can dig that i think yeah as people of color in america you do have to deconstruct who you are <laughs> who you you know who you've grown to be and like really analyze that and decide if it's who you want to be or who you've think you have to be or who you've been maybe you've been directed to be a certain way so I think the analysis of that is you know really important um to me at least it is I feel like that's one of the reasons you've been so successful in creating uh autonomy like because Mm. you had a clean slate I did that was it that was you know, that was a little scary at first, honestly, because like with so many of the other work I did, you know, obviously I I got this role pretty, I wouldn't say like super soon after like leaving school, but in a good amount of time. And before this, before this role, I was doing like a lot of theater in New York. And with theater, you have, you know, the entire script in front of you. You have, you have a lot of the 
tools and instruments to create a character because you have these lines and you have your particular character's interaction with a ton of people. So you can begin to shape, you know, who they are. And if they're like a, I don't know, if they're a basketball player or if they're a, a banker, you can do a lot of that research on your own. But with Patonomy, it was like, you know, in the pilot, I think I had like two lines or something like that. And, you know, not much was said about me. Um, and this guy is obviously a mutant. So it's like not much like research you can do online. You can't just like Google search like mutants and what they do on a daily basis and like, you know, what they eat. Um, so that was an it was an interesting experience to do that. Um, but it was a lot of fun to just create something and work with Noah um, on the ideas that he had and just help shape it and create it to what I what I thought he is and how he moves through the world and some and then as I learned more about his experiences create more of a backstory for myself about why he is the way he is um but thank you I'm happy you and you enjoy the you know the creation of it and that's a rare thing when you can just kind of create something from from the the dust I guess as they say a lot of times when I was in theater they were very flat characters or the characters were not crafted for people of color. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just such a unique experience to be able to go, I'm a person of color in this position. I get to craft it. Mm -hmm. But also you've got like, there's this art imitating life, imitating art, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're a snazzy dresser. He's a snazzy dresser. Mm -hmm. Oh, Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, you gotta, gotta love tweed and and chucks. (laughs) I'm yeah. always an appreciator of checks. I have a good collection. Uh, I've given away all my heels at this point. That's funny. You just rocking chucks? I'm just speakers? rocking chucks all the time. Yeah. Today is like a rarity where okay. I was like, okay, I got a t-shirt uh, on. So okay. Like, I, have, I have similar kind of boots to that, those two. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, art imitating life. You're saying something about art, art imitating, imitating life. life. Life imitating art. Life and- imitating art. Um, and characters that can be kind of flat in the theater i think you're saying particularly for people of color particularly for people of color you know what i think the problem is not that the characters aren't there i think the problem is that these plays don't get produced i think that's the like the real issue because i you know there's so many brilliant like playwrights of color but you know unfortunately a lot of times their work just isn't produced or it's just not, yeah, because it's it's overlooked or just not thought of or, you know, like, what is the, the, the Hamilton line? I, I want to be in the room where it happens. You know, there's not always people in the room where it's happening to, like, bring up these suggestions or have these ideas about these particular plays. So, you know, the characters are there. It's just they're not being produced. But I, I that... This point kind of brings me to like my last year at Juilliard. Like, we, me, and there were four black students in my class at Juilliard, and we had never done a play by, you know, a black author throughout our four years there. And we, I don't think we ever actually played like characters that were written as black people. So we went up to the, uh, you know, the head of the drama department. Um, and we, like, you know, we said that we want to 
do a play like buy a black playwright in our fourth year and they honored that and something that i didn't even realize was that he said he didn't realize that this you know that we hadn't done you know a play by you know a black playwright and i think that's i think that's a lot of you know not saying the issue but that's I don't know. I, I don't know any other way to phrase it except that there needs to be people who recognize these things. And I think that when there isn't um, enough just inclusion in the decision-making processes of anything, whether it's like at the head of corporations or the head of production companies or television networks, then people get excluded um, inadvertently a lot of times. So I think that's why it's important to have, you know, a inclusive group in the room where it happens. That was the point of that. That was like kind of all over the place, but that's where that's where it dropped off. I'm here for it, and, though. And it's um, and it also kind of speaks to the fact and I was I was joking with my producer before we came in there is like this dude's going to have an EGOT. Like it's it's happening. She speak it, speak it, yeah. I just spoke it into existence. Speak it, man. Um, that would be great I on mean, this day. Yeah, speak it. I mean, of it's, March. It's it's all you. All right. I mean, I want to. I mean, it would be great to have to get it to to, to be in the egot conversation. You know, I just want to. I think for me, I want to just try to be great and just like work. And I understand that that's just about like the daily work of just putting that in, just like putting hours in to, to work on your craft. So that's what I'm interested in is just improving and getting better and just trying to take the steps to continuously do that. Um, and to be open to like having a diverse body of work, whether it's like with doing recorded work like poetry or music and um, sticking to getting back on the stage and doing film and television, like trying to really not feel limited in who I can be as an artist, which I think can happen at moments in time. And I know we've heard a lot of people speak about this, you know, specifically what's coming to my head right now is like Kanye West in some interviews talking about just like, you know, the, some of the, he was talking about some of the racial bias he also came up with in the fashion world, but also the idea that, you know, he was a musician and only a musician. You know, and I think a lot of times people can get caught up in that, like this idea that you can't do more than one thing or you can't be more than one thing. And I think that's I think that's a problem, you know, and you have these people like Donald Glover, who are like these multi hyphenates and like the Ava DuVernay's um, who owned her own. Like, what was it? She was a PR person for a while and then she had her own PR firm. And now she's a writer and a director and just so much more than that an activist, an advocate. You have someone like Donald Glover, who's, you know, a writer, director, actor, musician, you know? So I think that hopefully that's breaking down the stigma that you can only do um, one thing. You know, with that, I think, you know, RZA is on that same page, just one of these artists who, you know, has this musical genius and is also now expanding his artistry to, I guess, directing. Um, but it's just working with him was just the the reverence that people have for him was probably something that I haven't really seen. 
before I haven't really worked with anyone who had that level of reverence. I just, you know, because we were filming in New York and because he's such an, you know, a legend and icon within hip hop and the movie had to do, you know, with hip hop and, and music, there was just a certain level of yeah, respect and reverence that people had for him because of his accomplishments and achievements. Um, and I really dug that he was so down to earth um, and that he was so open to like learning and still growing. I think those things are um, important for people. And, you know, it's, it's always good to see people who've accomplished so much still be in a place where they're, um, they're willing to grow and to learn. And I've got a chance to work with Robin Williams on this, um, on this movie, Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Um, and he was similar. It was like a similar process of still like open to like learning and growing. And I know we have all these stories about people whose egos are like really intense. But for the most part, I've luckily avoided that. And I've seen these people who've accomplished so much still have this level of humility and still have this interest in perfecting their craft. And I feel like that that was great for me to see. Because at least for me, at one point in time, I remember thinking that, if people are assholes, it's because they had to be to, like, get where they are. And I think sometimes that's, I think that can be false. You may have to be stern and you may have to be assertive and, you know, obviously very confident. I think in this business, you have to be confident because there's so many things that can just tear your confidence down, all the rejection and the, you know, just the, you come really close, but it's not you kind of, all those kind of things that happen. And I hear so many people who have accomplished so much speak about that. But, um, but yeah, I was flowing on a tangent. Yo, that tangent was amazing. Because it, it talks a lot about um, what you kind of find important. I think it's also, it talks a lot about the fact that I really hope one day you're on the writing side. Like, do you, yeah. do you plan on, are you working on anything? Yeah, I do have um, writing aspirations. And I have some ideas that I've, like, that are in their infancy, but are there that I've like that are gonna happen, that are definitely gonna happen like within the next year or two. So that's exciting. And people have always said that to me. I think it's because of poetry. Because before I was like on this show, I like I was like writing poems even before I was acting and people would always say, like my mother and just other people would be like, you should write. Like you should write your own stuff. You have you have the ability to write. So you should like use it. And I think for a while I was kind of resistant. Like the reason I, you're a poet. So I think some of the things that attracted me to poetry is that, not that it doesn't take forever, but I think with like writing a screenplay or something like that, it's like people dedicate like years of their lives to completing things. Or like novelists that dedicate years of their lives with poetry. You can kind of, you know, it may take a week or it may take, some months maybe, or it may take, it may all come out in like 30 minutes. But it's it's a very different thing than like writing a novel and then sending it to someone and then making changes. And you know the saying, writing is rewriting or writing a screenplay and then changing it again. And then, you know, all the shifting that has to go with it. 
So I think for a while my patience wasn't really there for I was kind of like, yo, this is cool, but we got other things to do. I'm going to dedicate a year or like two years to creating something. But I think now, I don't know what has changed, but I feel maybe I'm realizing that like patience is something that I need. But I'm like, okay, writing is so important and so valuable and it kind of goes back to what I was speaking about a little earlier about independence. There's a lot more independence in writing um, and freedom there and uh, creative control until you sell it to someone and then they just do whatever they want with it. But, you know, before that. Not if you have a good lawyer. Not if you have a good lawyer. (laughs) See, now you're talking that talk, that good lawyer talk. Got to have a good lawyer. (laughs) Absolutely. But I mean, I think it's also, it's it's interesting because it's the same way like going into the script you're working on now. Like, Mm -hmm. let's be real. Like, how many times do you actually know that a scene you're doing from Legion is either real or fake? Like, how many times do you actually know? First season, very few very few i think we would we would definitely get together and be like yo so are we in his mind are we in david's mind right now or is this the reality is this the past um and you just kind of like let it go and you're just like all right we're just gonna jump in and just trust that it is what it is (laughs) that definitely happened i feel like legion is a good like first major show for me to be on because everything else from there will never be as like I don't want to say complicated but it will never be as I'll never just have to jump in as unknowingly as I have to do with Legion because it's just like we were talking about earlier as far as like not knowing much about who Patanami was and just like crafting him and just with especially in the first season like really getting to understand the world. I think at least with season two, you have like the first season behind you. So there's more of an understanding of the tone and the world and the, you know, what we're actually making, that this is this kind of like art house type of show that's on FX and there's not really anything like it on TV, like accepting that and understanding that. Whereas in season one, it's kind of like, all right, like, what are we doing? Like, what is this actually? Um, So with that, I feel like it's such a great experience, you know, just as an artist too and just as a person being like, all right, trust, just trust. It'll be all right. Like, it'll work out. People will love it or people will have some opinion about it. You know, at least they won't be. Like, there's this this great, like, uh, line from a play. I think it's Stephen Adley Gurges. It's like uh, F being cool, be blazing or be freezing. I don't know if we can curse on here, but F being cool, right? So I know that people's reactions to Legion won't be cool. They'll either be like, we love it, they'll be really hot on it, or they'll be really cold on it. Like, we're really into this or we're not into it. So that's that to me is like a, a dope way to look at making art, you know? It's like you don't want people to be indifferent towards your work you'd rather have them to have a strong opinion so to be on a show like that where you just have to jump in and trust and really work your creative juices i think is a is a blessing um for me at least the type of art i want to do and the type of work i want to do okay let me ask you a question Mm. how much did you understand about season one so it's hard now and i'm a little i'm a little skewed because i've gone back and watched season one again Mm -hmm. and i'm like 
oh. Uh-huh. But at first I was like, okay, so either we're in someone's complete hallucination. <laughs> I was just like, how is she? Mm-hmm. But he's not, I knew, mm-hmm. at the beginning I knew David wasn't crazy. Like I was mm-hmm. like, he's not crazy. Yeah. This is clear that something is undiagnosed, but he's being, you know, it's kind of like this idea, and I don't want to get too heavy, but it's this idea where artists, once upon a time, when they were were doing things and were thinking out of the box and they weren't going by societal standards, they're like, oh, you need to go to an institution, settle down, you know, mm-hmm. get your mind back right. Yeah, and absolutely. so my brain automatically was like, oh, okay, is this dude Van Gogh or is he just, mm-hmm. you know, is he, yeah. what kind of mutant is he? Mm-hmm. He just doesn't know. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting um, to watch it now and to go back through it and really understand, oh, Wow, there is someone hiding in your head. Mm-hmm. How heavy that could be for some, <laughs> if you imagine that for yourself. You know, it is really unfortunate that we diagnose crazy to so many things we don't understand. You know, especially since like mental health is an actual important issue that we, you know, I think gloss over. But to, but, Crazy is so dismissive in like in so many ways, and especially when we look back on history and like, oh, they called that person crazy, but they were actually just sharing an opinion or thought that was different than what was, I guess, mainstream stream acceptable at that moment in time. They weren't like trying to, but we don't call the people who like want to oppress people and like, you know, dominate like go after world domination we don't call them crazy we call them like just i don't know industrious or something <laughs> like that <laughs> so it's such an interesting concept that someone who has like a different uh opinion about you know something that shouldn't be acceptable is is crazy and we see that so much so much throughout history um and that's why i like x-men in general is because it's about these group of individuals who are different and have all these, you know, abilities, but since they can't, they aren't completely understood, they're like feared and then outcasted. And we see that happen to human beings. So I like that correlation between the two, um, the show and just life in general. Well, and it's also interesting because I feel like in a lot of, of your work and Noah's work, it's this idea of, going in and bringing the inside to the outside and then inviting everyone to the table. Because mm-hmm. it's not just about, oh, the X-Men are different, they're outcasts, blah, 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 blah. It's also, they're saving other people. They're trying to save the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, right? We're trying to do something noble. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I guess I, people fear what they don't understand. I, I think that's just like ultimately it, and they fear what they can't control. I think that's another big thing which i guess is i don't want to say it's understandable but i know that that's the origin of so many things like control you know uh, whether it's like the curriculum in schools is about control um some of the food you have access to is about control so there's there's all these things that that i think will continue to get better as we as our access to information has like increases which i think is what's happening now 
and we're seeing more and more and more is that you can be more critical of things because you actually have the information about it, which I'm sure you know from working in politics at some point in time. You probably you probably got a whole bunch of <laughs> crazy stories you can share or not share that you probably won't share, but that are there not that you've seen. Not on, not on record. Yeah, not exactly. On record. Not on record. Right? We'll, talk when, we'll talk when the mics are on. Um, but yeah, I think that's also what I heard in your poetry, right? Like there is this deconstruction of, again, a little heavy, but deconstruction of historical trauma and how we deconstruct the past and present and bring us towards the future. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, like, clearly you have a socially conscious heart. It bleeds wanting to change, even from the characters you choose. Mm, what yeah. are what are what are you I think right now mental health is something that I think is important to think about and I think it's something that a lot of people I think it has a stigma around it that hopefully with time will change. I think something that's really big is like I remember I was watching an interview with Jay-Z. He was talking to the, I think it was the chief editor of the New York Times. And he was talking about how he went to therapy. And I think that's just important for like a man that accomplished and that powerful who at one point in time thrived off of having a certain machismo and persona for someone who has achieved so much. Um, and evolved so much to to talk about like going to therapy I think is like really important for men to see young men um, older men in general to see um, and to like lose some of the stigma around therapy which is kind of cool because basically you're playing a therapist on steroids right now yeah yeah season two is a little different you know, he kind of transitions, but I think season one definitely, like, Potomi is, like, seeing so much. He's, like, hopping in people's brains and, like, seeing all their trauma and... And can't forget it. And can't forget it and what that does and what that means and that, the burden of that and how heavy that <laughs> that is. So, yeah, playing someone like that is, like, I remember one, I had a, we had a director who kind of talked about Potomi as, like, a... 70 year old man you know like a young man <laughs> with a 70 year old's mind who's just have has seen so much because he's been in so many people's minds so many things that people want to hide or don't share and he gets a chance to see them like vividly and then never forget them like sometimes when i sit down and actually like, talk about it because after playing him for like, i guess the past couple of years you know sometimes you don't always sit and talk about the core of who he is the way you may have done in the beginning when you were doing some of of that early work. So whenever I get a chance to kind of sit down again and really just say like, wow, like, yeah, this is the person who I'm playing. This is what he's dealing with. These are the things that shaped him and make him who he is. I'm grateful to like have the opportunity to play a character like that. I understand why you need dance parties in the middle of sets now. And then, yeah, yeah, you gotta. Well, those are Aubrey initiated, just because she's like about that life, and it's just like, yeah, all right. Because for me, it's kind of like, you know, this is, you know, I guess I'm, I'm re- somewhat new. I'm getting, you know, my feet. They're wetter now in the business, but like for me, this is like, 
you know, I'm, it was a few years out of school, season one, and just getting on a show with like Noah Hawley and Dan Stevens and Aubrey and Gene Smart, just like these people who've, you know, been in the business a little longer and have accomplished so much. You know, for a while, I was kind of like, all right, how do I like, how can I act? And you know what I mean? Like what like <laughs> what can we do? What can't we do in the makeup trailer? This is my first time spending extended periods of time in the makeup trailer. So, you know, a lot of those parties are initiated by Aubrey and then you just you like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing, you just roll with it. I got three quick fire questions. You ready? Right. So I gotta answer them rapid fire? Yeah, or? rapid fire. All right. What does a day for you look like? It really depends, honestly. That's the thing about being <laughs> like what we do is like sometimes it could be like when you're shooting, it could be you're up at 5 a.m. and you're like on set by 5.30 and then you're shooting all day or like you're on set. You're supposed to be shooting all day, but they're behind in the scene that they were like working on previously. So you're chilling in your trailer and you're like trying to read or you're listening to music or you're like texting your friends and then you're or you're like re like rereading the script or you know all the things that you you do that people do um while they're in their trailers so there can be a day like that when you're shooting all day then there could be you know when you're not shooting something it could be like i'm gonna sleep in and try to hit the gym or try to like stretch and do yoga or try to connect with a friend try to like read or take a class um lately i've been really into trying to take classes um, to just like, just like you said, try to continue the like building knowledge and like building craft. So that's kind of important to me. I find that like my best days are when I work out, when I can get a workout in. So that, that wasn't rapid fire, but that's it. Those no. are the best days. It's, All good. Yeah. Workouts make everything better. Yeah, absolutely. What inspires you? I'm inspired by I'm inspired by people, by, I guess, people who aren't um, afraid to speak their truth. People who um, overcame. I think those things inspire me. People who did it their own way. (laughs) Yeah. Word. What are you most looking forward to in season two of Legion? I'm looking forward to, I'm, I always, I guess, look forward to people's reactions. <laughs> like, because I think what art, like, you create, like, I remember hearing Pharrell talk about that song Happy that he had, like, a couple years ago that ended up being this, like, big hit for him. He, like, was thanking the people for making it what it was. He's like, you know, you're in a, you're in a room or you're in a, and you're in the studio, you're in the booth, and you're just, you create something and you have no idea how it will impact people. You you hope it. You may have hopes for the way it will impact people, but you have no idea. So for me, it's like always good to just like eventually share a creation. So I'm hoping that people just enjoy where we go. Um, changes that happen. A lot of like cool things happen with patonomy, like some dark things happen with him so i'm i'm excited f- to share that and just to see how people react to that and just i think the the continuation of the story seeing where david goes and like um melanie and lenny just seeing where we all go and just like having people 
Like I know where we go, but like, and, and the last thing is just like seeing it because it it's such a visually stimulating show that even reading the scripts and even when you're shooting, you can never really fully conceptualize how it will look. So just getting a chance to like see it all come together is always exciting for me. Word. Word. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. That was dope. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't even know when we started and stopped. I was like, okay, I guess we're starting. I yeah, we're no, here. yeah, you know, we're cool. trying to Thank make it you. mellow. I appreciate Yo, it. I don't think I even have to say it. I'm already tuned in to season two of Legion, which just started on FX. But if you can pull yourself away from Legion in the next two weeks, I'm going to have my next guest, who I'm really excited about, Sana Amanath the Vice President of Character and Content Creation here at Marvel. Y'all, we're going to talk about the poetry her mom writes. We're going to talk about Ms. Marvel, what it was like growing up as a Jersey girl. Don't miss it. See you next time.